Everything is inspired by the teachings of Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, the founder of the International Society of Christian Consciousness. Today we're talking about yoking to the Supreme. The first step in yoking, which is derived from the Sanskrit word yoga, the first step towards yoking or doing yoga is to put God first place means to yoke with God. Yoga is not just another word for physical fitness or flexibility or breathing exercises. If the physical fitness and the breathing and the calisthenics are not accompanied by spiritual components, it's not yoga, it's just calisthenics, it's just exercises. So if you're not in all of that mentally and spiritually aspiring to put God first place, and you might as well just be swimming and running, but you're not actually doing yoga. When you're putting God first place, that's when you're doing yoga. And yoga is not something you do an hour a day for exercise, it's something you do 24 hours a day in order to remain connected to God. You might be donating part of your salary to build a temple, donating your time towards missionary endeavors, your energy for cooking or making flower gardens for the Lord, or raising a family in God consciousness. Arjuna even fought a war in yoga. And trust me, if you're active all day, just naturally in the service of the Lord, you're going to be in top physical condition whether you go to a so-called yoga studio or not. Prabhupada <laughs> says the real aim is for the living entity to give up all small-minded, ego-centered goals and be prepared to satisfy the Supreme, that is yoga. And Prabhupada says, in all of the activities that we do throughout the day, cooking, cleaning, preaching, fixing the car, shopping, if there's gaps, if there's a moment where we're not physically doing something for Krishna, then we have our beads. Who's got beads? I've always got beads there. Show, show us what you do whenever there's a spare moment in between gaps of service. We have our beads. And we engage, continue the service by engaging in chanting. Simple act of chanting on beads, your tactile sense is engaged in fingering and counting the beads. Your tongue is obviously engaged, your ears are engaged. You can smell the incense and flowers that are offered to the Lord. And you can see the beautiful form of the Lord. So using the senses in the service of the Lord is Yoga. So if you've made a decision to go with the Lord and put God first place, center place in your life, then the next step to going is growing. Growing in your relationship with God, whom we call Krishna, the root of all existence, cause of all causes, the source from which everything emanates. We are the twigs, the branches, the leaves and flowers. Constitutionally, we are parts of the tree, we are not the whole tree. So the key for those who are parts and not the whole is what? To stay connected, because by staying connected with the whole, we continue to get nourishment, strength. As long as the leaf and the twig and the flowers are connected, they grow, they blossom, they become everything that they're capable of being. 
If the root is satisfied, the root of the tree is well watered, it's healthy, it's free from rot, it's in good nutritious soil, then all of the parts and parcels will not only go, so to speak, but they'll grow and join so as spiritual living beings, parts and parts of the all-blissful, all-knowing, and all-power of Supreme Lord, those fruits that we'll experience on that tree are the fruit of peace, fruit of joy, fruits of happiness. All that comes by being connected to the whole. In any relationship, growth is going to happen over time. You have to be patient. You can't expect that you're going to reach perfection within 24 hours of starting your yoga practices, chanting, and serving. But when you first make Krishna God a part of your moment-to-moment daily existence, the farming analogy is a very good one in this connection. We're all farmers, and by our service, in we're planting good seeds in a good soil. Like any farmer, you're not going to get a crop in the first 24 hours or the first week. When you go to Cook's up in Orem to get your seeds, or when you grow these little seeds in the greenhouse, the average time before you're going to get a fruit is going to be, it's quick if you get one within 65 days. Some of them are more like 90 or 100 days. So you have to, like any farmer, protect those seeds. You have to water them. You have to pull out the weeds, which threaten to choke the tender creepers. And like any good farmer, you have to be patient for the results. Those plants cannot grow if they're being choked by bad weeds. So similarly, if you're trying to make spiritual advancement, be a yogi and connect with God, at the same time, cater to your bad habits of your previous life, like smoking, drinking, gambling, illicit sex, meeting, and intoxication, that's going to be like trying to light a fire and at the same time pour water on it. Someone might say, well, shouldn't any liquid put out the fire? Uh, Not necessarily. Gasoline is also a liquid. So chanting on one hand, eating meat, chasing women, Taking intoxicants, on the other hand, they're antithetical to progress in yoga. So one should consider, if one is serious about connecting with the Lord and making one's life successful, one should consider getting rid of old habits and adopting new habits. Now, obviously, be a period of discomfort, a transitional period, just like in any new relationship. But I can promise you, over time, you will grow more in intimacy, you'll grow in trust, and you'll grow in peace. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare In ancient days, Indrani will tell you, marriages in India were arranged. There's a part, even today, of the Hindu marriage ceremony where you put the antavat, you put the cloth up, which separates the groom from seeing the bride. And at a dramatic moment, you drop the cloth. And that would have been in a traditional Hindu marriage ceremony, the first time that the bride and the groom see each other. So it's pretty awkward, you know, seeing your life partner for the first time. What we do is we give them, each, give them some flower petals, and when the cloth drops it, throw the flower petals on each other, they kind of break the ice. <laughs> She's gonna be spending the next 60 years with this person, so I hope you start off in a little bit. Uh, Let me tell you all like that. 
So in an arranged marriage, things are very formal, very awkward, it's strange. And there's no honeymoon, there's no none of that right away, obviously. You just have a very formal arrangement. The man is trained and brought up to protect and to earn. The woman is brought up to make the domestic situation completely free of tension and good food and clean and everything. And each one goes about their duties separate, independently, and somewhat formally. Well, that goes on for a while, weeks, months or so. What happens? Friendship. There begins to be a sense of friendship. They start talking to each other. They start sharing each other. A real relationship. Imagine starting out with sugar water, and now it's getting a little thick. Maple syrup or something. This goes on for a while. You know, we're talking months, years here. Finally, they discover they love each other. They actually love each other. There's service. There's doing your duty. There's patience. There's friendship. And then finally, there's love. And then after a long time, there's physical congress. And then a baby. And that baby is a byproduct, a manifestation of the love which develops gradually over a course of time with the development of character and with the exercise of patience. Prabhupada says here, we should chant the name of the Lord in whatever condition we may be in without any worry and the confidence that Krishna will take care of all the details. What are two things that we should know when we embark on yoga? One is, that God of Krishna is bigger than our shortcomings. He doesn't ask for perfection. He just asks for faith. He just asks that we trust Him. That He's bigger than our doubts, bigger than our critics, bigger than those who have discouraged you in the past, bigger than any mistakes you might have made. It's our job to just, with dogged determination, to dedicate ourselves to keeping that connection intact with the faith that He's going to get us to where we need to be. And the second thing to realize is that, that loving God is not external, it's not artificial, it's not an outside imposition on the consciousness, it's the natural state of a living being. First devotee I met on the streets of Australia in 1970, practically the first words he spoke to me, that was like, how long ago was that, 54 years ago? And I still remember, just like it was yesterday, <laughs> He said, love of God is already there. It's a seed which is dormant within everyone's heart. We just have to water that seed. And we water that seed by chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. And that innate propensity to love God will automatically manifest itself. You look at a little baby crawling on the floor here and there. That baby knows how to walk. He knows how to walk. He's carried that knowledge with him from a previous lifetime. There's so many other lifetimes he's walked. He's flown, he's climbed, he's swam, he's burrowed. So he knows how to walk. But he has to practice for a while. He's not learning how to walk. He's reviving what he already knows by practice, determination, and patience. So we have been living disconnected from God for who knows how many lifetimes in this material world, for who knows how many thousands 
or even tens of thousands of lifetimes, we've been out of sync, out of connection with God. We've forgotten our relationship with Him. Like leaves which have long since been disconnected from the tree and they're shriveled, they're yellow, they're wrinkled, they're virtually without life, they're without vitality. We need to bring ourselves back to life. And so when we make that reconnection, it might take some time to revitalize our spiritual selves. But that capacity is there, and that process of restoration begins with yoga. When you, as a tiny individual entity, connect your infinitesimal power with the infinite power of the Supreme. And it can involve breathing, it can involve exercise, but it also cannot move forward without chanting. Any bona fide name of God will do, but great saints and sages have preferred the name Krishna because it means all attractive. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna, Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Ram, Hare Ram. Ram, Ram, Hare Hare. Right now you might feel run down, defeated, knocked down. It's been so long. Alone, it all may be too much. But if you commit to partnering with God and putting Him first place in your life, you are going to have the greatest power in the universe in your corner. God's already behind the scenes. He's arranging situations. He's bringing things to turn around in your favor, bringing the right people, the connections. He's restoring health back to you. There's nothing that God cannot do for the living that you keeps in first place. After all, He created and He manages millions of universes. Why He could not literally and figuratively fly you to the stars? He's already for you. He's your Father. He loves you. But the caveat is he's not going to show you his best face until you open the door and invite him in. And we do that by chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Well, true, if what you say is true, why do children die of cancer? Why is there war in the Ukraine? Why was there October 7th massacre? Here's my answer. I don't know why, but here's what I do know. I know that you live disconnected with God at your own risk. I know that God commanded us, thou shalt not kill, and that includes the animals as well as the human beings. Albert Schweitzer once said, as soon as you lose compassion for life in any form, it's only a matter of time before you lose that compassion for life in all of its forms. So certainly slaughterhouses, shedding the blood of terrified animals and eating meat are not going to be conducive to the best life that we can live. Bernard Shaw wrote a hundred years ago, we are the living graves of murdered beef slaughtered to satisfy appetites. We never pause to wonder if our feasts of animals like humans have rights. We pray on Sundays when we have light to guide our footsteps on the path we tread. We're sick of war, we don't want to fight and yet we gorge ourselves on the death. Like carrying a crow, living feet and meat, never considering the suffering we cause. Thus we treat defensive animals for sport or gain. How can we hope to attain the peace we say we are so anxious for? Here's another thing I know. When you put self under God, you get light, you get knowledge, you get guidance. That when you put matter above spirit, God under self, you get darkness, you get ignorance, and you get mayhem. 
So here's a news flash. Krishna, God, created us all to be yogis and not bogies and rogies. I know another thing, that if you chant the names of Krishna and put him in first place, you automatically become, in due course, a first class lady or gentleman. No need to take any self-improvement or self-help courses. It's all there, included in that one package. I know that God, as your loving Father, as your Creator, wants to be good to you. He wants to bless you, but you have to first do your part. If you don't consider honoring God by chanting Krishna or any bona fide names, or you don't consider following His principal instruction not to kill, then don't blame Him when your choices come back to bite you. There was a funny story. One Sunday morning at Texas prison, a group of inmates were being led to the Catholic and Protestant chapels. Catholic chapel was on the left side of the exit door and the Protestant chapel was on the right side of the exit door. Most of the prisoners peeled off to the left or right. One prisoner kept going towards the exit door of the main gate. Finally, a guard caught up to him and grabbed him. He said, where do you think you're going? He said, I was told that I could go to the church of my choice. And it's in Denver. <laughs> uh, the, pro the problem is he had already made such a bad decision that he no longer had the power to go to any church of his choice. He, had, he had still had two choices, but they were within the prison walls. So we all have freedom of choice, and yoga means to use it properly. Prabhupada said, God is like the sun which illuminates everything and cannot be illuminated by anyone. A light is never dark. It never gets covered by dark. So Krishna is always good in everything he does. Nothing bad ever proceeds from God, just as darkness never, ever, ever in the history of the world has ever emanated from the sun. So surrender to the goodness of God is the path to freedom. Think of it in terms of boarding a cruise ship. Now everybody knows the destination. The passengers have surrendered themselves. They're on this cruise ship for a certain period of time. They can't get off it. They can't jump off it into the water. No helicopter's gonna life flight them out. Their freedom is limited. And they've agreed to that voluntarily, probably even paid a big fee, that they're gonna be prisoners quote unquote, on the cruise ship for the next few weeks. However, no one's in chains. There's four swimming pools. There's a running track. There's six restaurants. There's entertainment. There's all kinds of yoga and exercises and interesting people. There's a whole library, a buffet. They can go where they want and do what they want on this luxury cruise ship. Eat, sleep, play, lounge, sunbathe, swim, play individual games, play group games. They can do whatever they want within the environment of the cruise ship. And the whole time, the cruise ship carries them towards some exotic destination. Both freedom and surrender are simultaneously present, and they don't contradict. In fact, they complement each other. The society that Prabhupada started in 1965, International Society for Christian Consciousness, notice this one has 820 centers worldwide where there's cooking going on, cleaning, festivals, restaurants, 
places to say architecture, music, art, gardening. So there's all of that, but it's all within the confines, so to speak, of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. All that freedom exists within the overall framework of surrender. Challenge you, tell me, anybody who went to the next level without discipline, without surrender, and without training. Tell me any marathon winner, any track athlete, any boxer, any artist, any writer, any painter, tell me anyone who achieved a level of excellence without surrender, without discipline. Musicians practice hours a day. Although it sounds paradoxical, here's a truth, here's your takeaway for this afternoon. True freedom comes only through surrender. Prabhupada says, just like a paper boat floating in water can be destroyed at any moment, this human body can be destroyed at any moment. However, if we take shelter of Krishna, we can go beyond this material existence. The real test of yoga not how successful you are, not how much money you have in the bank, not how pretty or good-looking you are. Success, health, good looks can be taken away in a moment. The real test of yoga is how surrendered you are, how willing you are to get in the middle of who God wants you to be and what He wants you to do with your life. A so-called yogi with an egotistical, self-centered agenda. It's like a person riding a horse, imagine it with a head on both ends. There's gonna be nothing but a push and pull struggle between yourself and your maker. The true yoga is not defined by how happy we are, how healthy we are, or how sincerely we wave our flag of surrender. The real questions leading to yoga then are, what? is Krishna's will for me in this hour and day? Where is Krishna leading me? How can I surrender to Krishna? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Krishna, Krishna Hare Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Rama. The most yogi prayer that we can give is the same prayer that Lord Jesus gave in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, thy will be done, not mine. And it should come as no surprise to us that when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, hallowed be thy name. And he also said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That means that wherever God's will is done, that is his kingdom, whether it be there or whether it be here. One devotee said, He is therefore the yogi who lives no longer on his own will or by the way of the world, but by the sole will of Krishna God. He is a true yogi who considers Krishna in everything, who serves Krishna God in everything, who does everything in the name of Krishna and under such rules as are conformable to his glory. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Story time. A yogi whose name was Uvasa and a devotee who was a king. The yogi had all mystic powers 
And the king was just a humble king with no particular powers. But in the course of this story, I think you'll see very clearly how far superior the surrendered king and devotee was. Durvasa was a yogi of the sage who often got outraged when anyone upstaged him. Yeah, he was a diva expansion of Lord Shiva, the god of destruction who causes dysfunction, who wears snakes and bakes the three worlds and lakes of fire when time's arrow expires. Ambarish, on the other hand, was king of the seven continents. He encouraged the occupants to sing the names of the Lord whom he adored. He would sweep the temple floor with his own hands, perform devotional chores, and with his sword he would keep the citizens free from discord. Once, as the king Ambarish was geared up to end a year-long fast, the sage Gervasa appeared and demanded a full meal. Ambarish offered his own dinner, but the sage first wanted to go to the river to quench his thirst and deliver some prayers. The sage was gone for so long, the king sipped a little water so as not to go wrong by prolonging the fast. Now the sage could view future, present, and past, so he knew about the sip, and he spewed unpleasant, crude, and rude words at the king, accusing him of partaking before his guests. The sage plucked a hair from his head, which flared into a fiery demon, rushed forward with the intention of killing the king. In a stunning reversal, Krishna's razor sark, Sudarshan Chakra, rose the fiery demon, just as a snake is baked in the wake of a forest of fire. The sage was running for his life, being scorched by the torch of the Lord on his backside. He flew all over the universe and began to woo Shiva and Brahma to see who could relieve him. They said, dude, Krishna's our master. Even though he appears in human society like an actor, if you insult him, you court disaster. Still being seared by the Sudarshan blaster, the sage ran even faster than the devotee of Lord Vishnu, who warned, if you scorn my devotees, even God himself cannot free you. I am in my devotee's heart and they are in mine. At no time will we ever apart. Although I'm the Lord of all creatures, I seek the dust from the feet of my devotees. Only if you appease Ambarish will I be inclined to release the chakra from your behind. The sage, after running for one full year, came full circle when he screeched to a halt at the feet of Ambarish. The king had been holding a vigil, blaming himself for the missile that had sizzled the sage. He greeted the sage return with concern. He was so humbly blamed himself for all the trouble. Exactly at that moment, the chakra backed off from tracking the sage, who was so relieved to be free from the heat, he beseeched the king and asked him some boom. The king said, I assume with all your zooming around, you never get your lunch. Please sit down and let me serve some brunch. The yogi was amazed at the grace of the king. Though I tried to deprive him of life, he made no defense, he took no offense, and he wants to be my friend. The devotees of Krishna are not envious, they're the most contented, they're the well-wishers, even of their enemies. Though I am the greatest of yogi and sages, today I have been defeated and completed by the sweetest of the devotee. Can you join me? Hare Krishna, It says in the last verse of the sixth chapter, called Yoga of the Supreme in the Bhagavad Gita. Of all yogis, he who abides in me, Krishna says, worshiping me with great faith and transcendental loving service, is the most intimately united with me and is the highest of all. In the ninth chapter, Yad Kodos Yadashnasa, whatever you do, Krishna says, whatever you eat, whatever you give away or offer, whatever austerities you perform, do that as an offering to me. <laughs> Prabhupada said, Nowadays, people are very much inclined to the meditational process, which is not 
practical in this age. But if anyone practices meditating on Krishna 24 hours a day by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra on his beads and serving Krishna in love and devotion, he is surely the greatest meditator and the greatest yogi. One short story here, Gertrude Stein, the authors, she was dying in Paris and at that time some of her friends were standing around her bed. She opened her eyes in the last phase and said, what's the answer? No one had said anything because they didn't know the answer any more than she did. Well then she said, what's the question? Those were her last words, she died. So I'll tell you tonight, the question is, have I yoked my life to God? Have I surrendered to Him with body, mind, and words? Prabhupada says further, the ideal yogi concentrates his attention on Krishna who is called Shamasundar, who is as beautifully colored as a cloud, whose lotus face is as effulgent as the sun, whose dress is brilliant with jewels, and whose body is flower-garlanded, illuminating all sides is his gorgeous luster, which is called the Brahma Jyoti. He incarnates in different forms, such as Rama, the Shrina, Varaha, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and he descends like a human being, the son of Mother Yashoda, and he's known as Krishna, Govinda, or Vasudeva. He's the perfect child, the perfect husband, friend, and master. He's full with all opulences and transcendental qualities. If one remains fully conscious day by day of these features of the Lord, he or she is called the highest yogi. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare. Let us encourage you this evening not only to go with God, but to grow with God. Chant His holy names, honor Him with your talents and abilities, plant the seeds of devotion, and patiently wait for the fruits of love, peace, abundance, and meaning. Know today that God is bigger than your problems, bigger than politics, bigger than the weather, bigger than history's madmen and tyrants. He is sovereign. Know that when you love Him and you're surrendered to Him above all else, he considers you the best of all yogis. Consequently, he guides you, supports you, protects you, inspires you, and encourages you throughout the rest of this life. And in the next life, he'll take you back to home, back to God. So if that sounds good to anybody, you're welcome to raise your hands. And we all say together. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama.